0: Brand new episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. I'm Nate Larkin here with my good pal, good friend, co-host uh, David Hampton. Uh, we are in relative geographic proximity, but still using the internet uh, to record this thing. David, yeah. I see you're in you're in your office there uh, in Brentwood. Yep. I am. The practice the practice is pretty busy I understand.
1: It is. It is it is. Lots of folks uh, making their way in which we're grateful for uh but also that um you know that people are coming out from under the pandemic and finally reaching out and getting some help that maybe they've wanted to have for a while. So right, I right. think there's a little bit of a uh you know a backlash from that coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. very very full so that's good.
0: All right. Well, Allie and I are making regular pilgrimages up there to Brentwood, to uh, the same place where you have your office. We're doing the neurofeedback that yeah. with, uh, K- that KK Ray has described here on the show. Yeah, we've done uh, we've done ten sessions. Uh, we're at about the point where they tell us we ought to really begin seeing, you know, palpable changes. Yeah, I think Allie's sleeping a little better. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I'm any less crazy, but <laughs> I do enjoy I do enjoy the sessions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's uh, taken. It's
1: it's a great thing because I think sleep is one of the first things a lot of people notice, you know, mm-hmm. especially if anxiety is uh, part of what's uh, keeping things wired up. So,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's Ali's story.
1: Uh,
0: I've had to uh, we're going to take a little break because we got family in town for an entire week.
1: You have Uh, a tribe. You have a whole tribe in town. (laughs) 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 They all came. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So we had all the kids and the grandkids in the house. We've got a massive sleepover scheduled for this Saturday night when the Uh, local kids and the out-of-town kids are all going to be with us. Uh, And it's, I'll tell you what, Of course, now you you now have gotten a taste of being a grandfather, so you know what a joy that is, Yeah,
1: my daughter's boys are 18 months apart. They're uh, almost three and just over, you know, a year and some months, Patrick and Jackson. Mm. And I spent some time with them uh, a couple of times last week. And I'll tell you what... um, it, it is not for the faint-hearted. They are on from start to finish. They're just like chasing sand crabs. They're just moving every minute.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, our oldest grandchild is 21 and our youngest is five. Ah, wow. Uh, and uh, uh, I'll tell you what. I, I watch the way my kids parent their kids mm. and, and uh, marvel. Yeah, uh, they seem to have it figured out far more than I did when I was in their shoes, mm.
1: uh,
0: and I see the fruit of it in the kids. It's a it's a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah, uh, also fun to listen to family stories. Uh, I've heard some stories this week that I hadn't heard before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some, Yeah, yeah. now, you know, 20 years down the road that uh-huh. it feels safe to tell mom and dad what really happened. When we snuck uh, out
1: that time, that blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and
0: I'm grateful that um, I, I don't have the sense that our kids feel they have to censor themselves around us. That's yeah. a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, that, that is a beautiful thing. Um, Lauren paid me, I don't know if it's a compliment, but it, it was affirming. Um, she was talking about some things that um, she was dealing with and and she said, you know, she said, I had to sit back and realize I wasn't raised in a shame household. So I don't mm. know, I don't know how to speak back to that thing that she was talking about and she said because I wasn't raised to be in shame and I thought yeah. oh my gosh you know that's yeah. the cornerstone of <laughs> my story so <laughs> you know yeah um, yeah but yeah it uh, it was it's 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 affirming when they are demonstrating things better than us you know yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah encouraging
0: well we have a couple of guests this week who uh, have a, a, a just a delightful family dynamic. And I, it's one that made recovery possible. Mm. Uh, this, uh, you know, very often in order to get sober, people have to separate. At least temporarily and sometimes permanently from their family of origin. Mm -hmm. But uh, that is not the case with our guests today. And they have just a, a charming and inspiring story. You are going to love Tom and Laura Bolt when we return on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. We have this week, not one guest, but two, a mother and son, authors of a terrific new book, Unraveled. Uh, Tom and Laura Bolt are joining us today from someplace high in the mountains where I hope it's a little cooler than it is today in Tennessee.
2: Welcome, thank Laura you. and
0: Tom. Thanks for having us.
2: Thank you. Yeah. It's great to be yeah. here. Uh,
0: you're in Vale, I understand.
2: We we are we're in the Vale Valley. It's uh, experiencing a little heat wave here at 90 degrees, but zero humidity, so uh, we're we're surviving just fine.
1: Well, today okay. <laughs> today in Nashville, the prediction is 100. So uh, oh, and lots of you know, lots of humidity. Yeah. So here we are. For <laughs> you, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So uh, not unlike a great many of our listeners, you guys uh, have uh, an addiction and recovery story, one that affects not just one person, but an entire family. You take some time and kind of tell us. uh, Yeah. Give us a sketch of the
3: story, will you? You want me to go for it?
2: Uh, Sure. Go for it.
3: Yeah, sure. It's... um basically our our story is um you know we have uh addiction alcoholism that that run in the family and uh my mother uh who's sitting next to me <laughs> struggled with uh alcoholism and um i also struggled with alcoholism and and, and drug addiction and uh basically it's just the the story of that and then our recovery as well mm-hmm. uh, yeah and uh, just thought we should, we should put it on paper. Yeah, He's,
2: he, he he presented that idea to me. So I grew up in an alcoholic family. Uh, my my mother was an, an alcoholic, but actively in recovery until she died, and uh, she broke the chain, so to speak, if that's even possible. Yeah. But she did clear the path. Mm-hmm. You know, she led the way, and um, and that was really important for me to see. And, uh, I wasn't going to be that person. I wasn't going to be that alcoholic. So I was going to control it and I was going to be much better than that with mm-hmm. little understanding of what addiction really meant as a young person. All I knew is that it wreaked havoc on the whole family. And, uh, of course I didn't really understand, uh, um, uh, or have compassion for it mm-hmm. as, a, as a young person. Um, but anyway, I was as I grew older, I had more compassion for my mother. I saw what she went through. I saw her uh, come out on the other side, and she passed away being a sober person, which I think is just freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, I did a lot of field work and I did a lot of crazy stuff, and <laughs> I could go into that whole drunkalog. Um, uh, but mine, mine was more on the, uh, swinging from rafters and restaurants to stealing snow cats and grooming slopes and doing all kinds <laughs> of things like that. And at age 48, um, I felt like, you know, with four children, I might want to consider growing up a little bit, but it was far more than that. I, I make it sound too simple, but I, I was really in a dark place with it. I, I really couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I um, knew deep down that there was something wrong with me and something had to be done. And honestly, uh, I want to be positive about my recovery, which I am, but I was in that dark place of um, fear and shame and um, and I had a car accident. And I would say that that was an epiphany on all levels, uh, spiritually, uh, emotionally. I, I thought gosh if if not now when mm-hmm. will I get sober is it going to be at the loss of life of of somebody else first and foremost or myself and fortunately nobody I was injured but uh, it only just involved it was a one-person accident and uh, it was a very terrifying experience all the way around and and uh, I was fortunate to be and still am married to somebody who was very well educated in the field of addiction, um, and understood it and was, a, it really played a compassionate role, um, in my sobriety. So Tom, Tommy was just about to enter into the depths of his addiction when I was getting sober and, uh, two addicts in the same house was a very interesting thing. I, I think that, uh, we did butt heads a lot, but I, nobody understands my son, I think more than I do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was really grateful to be sober when he was going through what he was going through. Um, and the, having the ability to maintain my sobriety was not easy because life happens, you know, life happens, but, but, uh, addiction doesn't make anything better. Active addiction doesn't make anything better. And so when times are hard and you can reflect on the positive elements of your sobriety, then you know, you can really pretty much get through anything, mm-hmm. uh, death in the family. Um, you know, whatever happens in your life, because life happens. Um, it is, uh, amazing what we can get through as sober people, because we know we have a better sense about life and we know that there's, there's joy on the other side. We know that there's laughter and, um, so Tommy Tommy can tell this story about how he came to me and asked me to write a book, but I think maybe he can speak to his own addiction, and I'll be quiet. His, <laughs> by the way, his story is much more interesting than mine. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was a, the middle, was a 48-year-old wineaholic, and now I'm, now I'm 61 and, and free of, free of awesome. the addiction today. That's so, awesome.
1: Yeah. Well, Tom, you, um, how, when did it begin to become apparent that you, uh, no longer felt in control?
3: Oh, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I realized the control. Um, I don't know if I thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, in until I had some sobriety under my belt. Mm, yeah. Um, I think that for me it was more of like a mental um like I couldn't shut my head off. Right. And I didn't know how to do that. And I tried several ways um to try and and, and do that. Uh, you know, getting sober for a week or switching, you know, um, from one thing to another or, um, you know, you know trying to, to do things that way. Mm-hmm. I think probably a year and a half before I, um, before I actually got sober and stayed sober is, is when I realized that there's an, there's probably an issue, mm-hmm. um, but And you were about uh, what
1: age at that point?
3: So I was probably, I was 19 or I was like 19 or 20 mm-hmm. at that point.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: Um, yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: Tom, where are you in the birth order? Uh, number one.
0: Oh, oldest kid. Okay. All yeah. right. Uh, and, and how old were you when mom got sober? <sighs> do you, I mean, do you, do, was that, was that something that you were tracking I'm as a not- kid? I'm not a math guy. Uh <laughs> okay. no.
3: I had already I had already started. I had already been been using and and partying uh-huh. when she stopped.
2: He was about 15.
3: Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah.
2: 15. Um Yeah.
3: 15 16. No, It
2: no. was about 15. When I had my car wreck, I I the 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 one in which was the bottom for me. Uh I went out and and I looked at the car the next day and I said, "Shit." You <laughs> can drive in my car yeah and, oh she and, blacked
3: out so she thought it was me that took the car out and so at that point i had already been using fighting. You know. but was, yeah it was one of the one of the handful of times where i was like i actually didn't do this
2: so you didn't do it yeah, yeah that was me um yeah
1: so, but, it was, I, you know, it occurs to me that there was a little overlap here where it could have been really easy for one of you to blame the other for anything that really showed up at the house or whatever because, <laughs> you
2: know, there was, oh, yeah.
3: Yeah, we, did, we did some fun stuff together. We too, did. So
2: we did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I drove drunk. We teepeed houses. We did all kinds of usual stuff that you do when a kid's growing up. The sure. mom's out there with them.
3: Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily it was, um, you know, harmless, uh, a lot of it was harmless fun when nobody got hurt Yeah, uh, when we would do stuff together. Yes. doesn't always yeah. work out that way, but mm. Mm.
2: it was when I decided that, uh, it was best for me never to drink again. And I haven't had a drink since that day on November 1st of, uh, uh, uh I don't remember she whatever knows. the date was <laughs> <laughs> uh, back then. Um, I remember waiting a few weeks because I thought, well, you know, I've never promised anyone I was going to quit drinking, and mm-hmm. I want to make sure I can do it. So I waited a couple weeks, and then I sat the children, the children, down. I have we have four boys, and my mm-hmm. husband in the room where you go in the house when it's serious, and um, <laughs> I I said, you know, I decided to quit drinking, and I believe that I am an alcoholic, and. I got reactions right off the bat. Tommy said, oh, mom, but you're so fun when you drink. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, all right.
1: Uh-huh.
2: And, and then my second son said, at age 14, I'm good with that.
1: I'm good
2: uh-huh. with that. A few words. Uh-huh. And then that my, my other son, Peter, who was, I don't know, maybe 12 or something, said, well, you're not an alcoholic anymore if you don't drink, mom. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah. we'll have a conversation about that. <laughs> and yeah. then, uh, that Billy was so young and uh, he he just kind of listened. And then uh, a few weeks later, he said, uh, mom, I think that there's a, a friend of mine whose parent is an alcoholic. And he said, you used to be one, didn't you? <laughs> and I mm-hmm. said, I bet.
1: Uh-huh. So, yeah.
2: uh, but it was, it was a funny response. And um, I don't know. I think, I think for, for me personally, making up my mind, uh, yeah. uh, at that time, it's not just about making up your mind because it's such a powerful demise, but I think I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. so tired of being filled with shame and fear mm-hmm. that that for me, you know, having that car accident was was an amazing wake-up call. And that's, that's really um, what worked for me. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes you wonder, God, did you get hit in the head as a kid? I mean, why would you keep doing the same things over and over and over and over again until you almost kill yourself in a car accident to make you realize that it's high time for you to move on with life in a in a sober way?
1: Mm-hmm. For me,
2: that's the way it worked out. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tommy can speak to that himself. Mm-hmm. But what a cool thing to be able to get sober, be there in a way that I could be there for my son when he was struggling and the outcome isn't always the way our outcomes are, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had a lot of family support, and I think that people can do it without family support if they're willing. Mm-hmm. But uh, what a cool thing that we could sit down and write this book together. Yeah, about our experiences.
1: Well, um, Tom, it sounds like you had a lot of crisis points, um, you know, before <laughs> uh, the before the sobriety and certainly before the idea of a book ever maybe occurred to you. Um, when, when you were going through those places, um, tell me about that a little
3: bit. Um, there were tough experiences, you know, I, I, they were spread apart, um, pretty far early on, but then towards the end, um, bad things started. I started getting myself into, into tough situations uh, a lot more frequently. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, I, I, I'm grateful for that because nothing was ever like pushed on me. Um, Mm -hmm. Sobriety was never really, forced upon me. I was never forced to go into treatment. I was never forced to, you know, go to a 12 step meeting. Um, you know, I, I was basically, um, just, I I felt like I was being let, um, to blow up my own life basically. And Mm -hmm. it was dark. It got very dark and, um, I didn't know, you know, who to turn to or how to handle it. And I tried to handle it myself for a long time. And then finally, when I came to the, you know, my bottom or the breaking point, um, Mm -hmm. I turned to my mom and I said, you know, maybe I need to try those 12 step meetings that you go to or something Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm, I can't do this anymore and I can't not do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 so at that point, it was it was easy for me to make that decision. And I think that if I had been forced into things, um, it would have taken me a whole lot longer. Yeah.
0: I think it's so beautiful that you guys could actually go to meetings together. Uh, I know a great many folks who, you know, can't be around their parents without drinking uh it, it's a great way to blow up sobriety right yes and, uh, uh and, and to me it's all the more striking because you know my first read on laura is that uh you, you're a strong woman laura you're a if you want to be to push you can push and yet oh, yeah. you had the <laughs> you 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 had the wisdom you had the wisdom to let tom uh, make his own decisions, feel his own pain, and you didn't—you didn't push him into treatment. You didn't push him into meetings. W- was that difficult for you to hold back?
2: Uh, oh, that was extremely difficult because I always felt like I knew what was best for all my children. Right. Yeah. And, uh, they fortunately have learned to establish some pretty good boundaries with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, ah. But I did have, uh, <laughs> and I will tell you, I did have an amazing therapist. Um, oh. it, who was instrumental because I realized that my codependency, which is an overused term, I, it really is. But my yeah. wanting to solve the problems for my children was very strong. Mm-hmm. And I knew that. And I said, I need help to try to let, take care of myself so that I can yeah. be a healthier version of me for, for Tommy and for my family and for me. And, and that wasn't easy because he did things that worried me. He was out till all hours of the night. Sometimes he wouldn't leave till two in the morning. He, uh, he did try to quit opiates on a couple of occasions. And if you've ever seen anybody do that, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a real struggle. And there's mm-hmm. some descriptions in our book. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and there were times when, uh, I really had to bite my tongue and just say, if you need some help, come, just ask for it. I, I have a couple of suggestions and he did do it a few times. He said, what do you think I ought to do? And I said, I, I, I think maybe rehab might be a good opportunity for you. And he said, no, I think I'll try it myself. I said, all right, <laughs> give it a try. Because down, I knew that there was nothing I could do. And he was beyond the age of having him kidnapped and, and going to a second nature or, uh, yeah. Program. Right. And I'm not going to say one thing positive or negative about that program. I just think for our family, that probably wouldn't have been the best solution for Tom, Tommy. And there I go thinking I know what's best for him, but I really thought it would be better if he.
3: I agree. It, I agree with that.
2: It, listen, I, you you have to connect with whoever you connect with to to try to uh, not worry all night long about what your kids are doing. And you, the only thing I can say, well, my mother-in-law told me, you know, she had four boys as well. And she said, you know, you raise your boys in the garage, you tell them to keep the blood off the carpet and you pray like hell. (laughs) I understood that simplicity. Uh Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And so (laughs) that's what I did. And then I'm sure I, I bent my husband's ear far too many times about my own worry. And he's a very calm. Practical guy.
3: We mm-hmm. did keep the blood off the carpet, though. Yeah.
2: They did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, but I was. Uh,
1: go ahead. Well, I, I, I want to get to the book, but I I was curious about your husband and the role he played as the two of you primarily were walking through this.
2: All right, that poor guy. I, I got to tell you, he has, he has the patience of a saint, mm. truly. He grew up in a family um, with a very, very loving family. Um, you know, nothing's perfect, but an amazing family. And he grew up with the addiction being table talk because his father was a physician, not in, not an, an addict or did not need to be in, in any kind of a program. But he was the doctor and founder of a place called Edwood, which was a 30-day in-house treatment program mm. in in St. Louis. So he grew up with the language mm-hmm. Wow! and he grew up with the compassion. His father was a really compassionate guy. And I think that his knowledge of it, of the disease, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it a demise disease. You can call it born with it, not born with it, whatever you want to call it. But he understood that it was that powerful that, uh, it deserved firm boundaries, but compassion and, and he did say to me, um, a couple of months prior to my car accident, he said, I just want to talk to you about your drinking. And I said, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. I deserve to have, you know, somebody mentioned something to me. He said, I, do you think that the volumes that you are drinking have increased? And do you think the effects, um, of alcohol have changed? And I said, 100%. And I, I cried and cried and drinking was never the same for me after that. Mm it was never the same it, it. And, uh, I said, well, I'll try to do some of that controlled drinking. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. It was like magnify it. Uh-huh. Magnify mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Like, you know, Oh, I'll try to control <laughs> drinking, but it just increased, 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 increased. And I, I'll, you know, I was a disaster. So, um, I was always in control of my drinking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you I st- could
3: stop if I wanted to, I just didn't want to stop. That's right.
2: So I, I did all kinds of things like, you know, I, I, my kids were very involved in sports and so I would drive their sports and I'd arrange it around my drinking. So I would drive them to wherever they had to be. And then I'd arrange for somebody else to pick them up. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Done that.
2: I didn't, I did not have a problem you see.
1: Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> uh-huh. So, uh, and, and, you know, my mother was so cool. I told her I got sober and she said, well, I didn't realize you have a problem, but if you have a problem and you took care of it, I'm really proud of you. Wow! <laughs> I'm like, where have you been mom? I'm <laughs> like- <laughs> she, she was amazing. Uh-huh. And, uh, so was my stepfather who I believe was a, was a serious alcoholic. And, uh, He said, you know, I don't know anyone that, uh, didn't benefit from quitting drinking or or doing drugs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's all he said. He said, I'm very proud of you. So we, you know, we had some, uh, cool support in the family, despite the fact that there was a lot of, um, alcoholism in our family Mm -hmm. and, uh, So that's pretty much my story, but I I love Tom's story about writing the book. I mean, it was his idea.
1: How long had you been sober, Tom, before you got the idea that a book would be good? And then to share the idea of writing it together, because it's hard enough to write a book uh, on your own, but to have two voices in the book. I love the way you've divided the chapters where where Laura's perspective and your perspective are uh, written individually. And... um, I think that gives the, uh, the reader a good insight to what it's like to be each of you.
3: Yeah. I think that was, pr- that was pretty cool. I don't think that was our intention going in. I mean, I don't, I think when I had the idea, I was maybe three, three years sober. How long did it take us to write the book?
2: Well, it took us a little four. over three years mm-hmm. and it's been a year. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be a year. Well, that's not true. It was so published in November.
3: So I was like four years, four little four years sober. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think I was three when the original idea, I said, Hey, we should really write a book. I think we got a cool story and uh, we could probably help a couple of people with it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if it could help one or two people, cool. It's worth it. Um, and she responded and said, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know. And kind of switched the subject. And I brought it up a couple more times and a year later we, did, we, she said, okay, let's do it. And so we, Started uh, on our journey. It took us three and a half years to write it, and um, we had to start over at one point. We were four chapters in. It was a piece of shit. It
2: It was like really flowery. Uh uh uh, It was pretty bad. It was so bad. We should
3: actually actually publish that. We should.
2: We should have put it in there. It was so hilarious that I thought, oh, God. We had to start completely. Over. Well, yeah, are, it
1: was are you familiar with the writer Anne Lamott? Yes. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. her book, Bird by Bird, which is really about writing, about the writing process. Um, mm-hmm. and it's not really like one of her more you know personal books, but it's about the writing process. And, and uh, she has a chapter called The Shitty First Draft. Oh, <laughs> oh, <yeah>. she, said <laughs> that, she said everybody has to write the shitty first draft to get it out. And then you go back and you... You know, you tweak and you massage or you tear up or you do whatever, but you get the shitty first draft out. And she actually titles entitles that first chapter in her book, The Shitty First Draft.
3: Yeah.
2: It's it's so funny. When we got to the editing portion of it, I we had an editor edit it and she was she got all the chronology wrong and she was trying to rearrange all the chapters and I went, Oh shit. Well that took another, you know, five Literally 50 to 100 hours, really, in all finality to try to re- redo what she did. But in the process, I here I go trying to control it and be perfectionist. I'm like, well, that happened three years ago, but I've had some growth since then. So now I need to change this and I need to change that. It was such a clusterfuck that I thought, (laughs) I'm just gonna throw this book in the trash and we're just not doing this. Yeah. But we but we stuck with it and I realized that regardless of what period of time we were in four years ago, and hopefully Mm -hmm. we've had some growth since then it's, it's an important juncture and in our journey and it's, it's fine to share it. Mm -hmm. Um, we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be cured. Uh, but, um, it's, it's just a, it's an interesting part of our life at that time when we wrote it. And, uh, thankfully I'm, I'm still sober today. And, uh, so is Tommy. Um, And it was really, really worth spending the time and the blood, sweat, and tears that go into writing Mm -hmm. a book when we had no idea what we were doing. Um,
1: Well, did you have the experience of writing your portion and then reading the portion that the other one wrote and going, is that how you experienced this? Because I don't (laughs) think I would, are we at this, were we at the same thing? You know, I mean, that's what I can imagine if I had to share that experience writing with somebody.
3: I think that we viewed certain um, instances in a different lens. I think that we felt um, different ways about certain experiences that um, happened to either one of us. Um, You know, obviously, you're going to get that with two points of view. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that that um, helps the reader as well. Oh, yeah. From two lenses.
2: It It is interesting. I mean, when, when the readers, and I'm ho- hoping that they'll pick up a copy or their listeners, uh, you know, the story, for instance, in the book about how he was experiencing anxiety as a kid, he mm-hmm. had, he had some trouble with being bullied, which was very traumatic. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean bullied in an overused sense of the word bullied. I mm-hmm. mean, severely bullied. Mm-hmm. And uh we got help and we did all these things but it was a very anxiety provoking situation and i gave him a valium one night mm. and i called the doctor and and i think that was his first experience with the get out of hell free card
3: mm-hmm. oh yeah oh and, yeah
2: and so you know who in their right mind in sobriety would give their child their kid a valium and who who would i don't know if people would do that kind of thing today but i can tell you back then when he was about Eleven years old. I thought that was the solution. Mm-hmm. It worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for for a
1: while.
3: <laughs> I had that. I had that in my mind for a couple of years uh-huh. before I started. Yeah.
2: So I didn't realize the, the the true significance of what I had done until Tommy had written about it. So to your point that you know when you look through a different lens mm-hmm. and and you tell your story a different way. I Holy shit, I have to review like how I feel about that um, mm-hmm. you know do I feel guilty about it Of course I feel guilty about it, but um I think I did the best I could at the time and uh, I had to talk to Tommy about it mm-hmm. you know it, it allowed for a lot of conversations between the two of us in amends mm-hmm. so that was a mistake mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, I shouldn't have done that and uh, so and there were a number of junctures in there where I felt like and amends was owed. Um, one of my favorite stories with Tommy when I was in my active drinking was uh, I was a perfectionist in the household. Everything had to be, I don't know that I'm OCD. I might be OCD in the mind, but I did like things all in their place. I felt like it was order. Mm-hmm. And I got home one day and he was pissed at me. So he rearranged the furniture and <laughs> he left like drawers open and things not in the right place. Drawer and frames not on the right table. And I walked in and I swear I went apoplectic. I'm like, oh my God, my whole going down. Uh-huh. You know, the only thing I have a control over is where I put that book on the table. Uh-huh. Um, and I got mad at him, and then I realized, holy shit, I have some work to do.
3: Mm-hmm. You I know, knew, I knew I knew it would it would really piss you off because you would come. For years, I'd see you come home and then move the chair like a quarter of an inch, (laughs) (laughs) like straight, go through the house, just kind of like making everything's like straight. And I said, oh, I'm just going to move everything off. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah. <laughs> your house perfectly organized the way I tried to do it with four boys that are very healthy
1: oh my god yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 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 You know, wow the
2: thing I, I, I learned a little bit after that I said yeah you leave your shit line around it's going in a locked closet and you have to buy it back <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh anyway the, to the control issue uh you know there are a lot of things that that became perfectly clear to me Uh, when writing this book with Tommy that I learned about myself through him. And I learned, and I, and I know that I I do, I learned so much through him. He, he is a very thoughtful uh, guy in terms of what he says and what comes out of his mouth. And I am, whoo, just Mm -hmm. no filter, no filter. (laughs) There are a lot of things that he has really helped me with. And I, and, and, being able to be in our uh, programs of recovery have allowed us to be better, at least for me, be a better listener mm-hmm. and uh, wanting to be better uh, for myself and for and for people around me. And, and you know, I I think that writing this book has allowed us to communicate on a level that perhaps we were headed towards, but how could you be to the point we were after writing this book without spending that so much time together?
1: Yeah. Mm. Um,
2: and so much telephone time and so much discussion. Um, it was just really a cool experience.
1: How did the rest of the family, um, receive the book? You know, your siblings and your husband?
2: Um, I had one son that, that, uh, is a, he's an amazing <clears throat> guy and he would just prefer, uh, not to have the laundry aired. Okay. Okay. Um, but he understood it and I showed all the, my three other sons and my husband, the book before it was published Mm -hmm. because, and we made some changes because I, I felt like it was important for them. I can't make them uh, feel proud of our book. That's Mm -hmm. something that comes from them, but I can be respectful with how they feel about their role in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I honored that. Yeah and so I honored the changes that they asked me to to change and uh but I think they were all thought it was pretty cool Yeah, and my husband my husband as well um and and in terms of my own siblings amazing responses mm. R- really amazing responses mm-hmm. my, our families on all sides have been very supportive
1: yeah yeah that's great cuz i i know that when we share our stories with a lot of enthusiasm and we're out there. We want to help others and encourage and, and, and be a voice of hope. Um, at the same time, you know, there are other people that are impacted by it. I know that, um, I wrote a book and my daughter, um, kind of was like, you know, before it was out, she was like, I, I don't want that one in there. (laughs) Can we not, can we not share that please? You know, and you have to honor that. I So I appreciate that. But I wondered about that with you having other sons and your husband and a lot of people are impacted by all this. And uh, so I respect that you respected that.
2: It took me a while to respect that because my initial response is, oh, that's bullshit. We're just going to write the book. But <laughs> you, have to, you have to respect their feelings about it. Yeah. They don't need to be in the book. It's not their story. Right. So, to the extent that they're in the story, was the extent of which they wanted to be in the story, mm-hmm. and that doesn't say that they weren't proud of us or mm-hmm. happy for us. But it was a little bit of a. Um, we all communicated fairly well about it.
3: Good. Well, they all they, everybody has their own life, you know. Yeah. of yeah. That life put in in yours and vice versa. So.
2: So is my mother? My mother would say after she got sober, she said, "Oh my God, so many of these people went to assertive school." and vulnerable school and all these schools. And I don't know why we have to label it everything, but I will tell you that for me being vulnerable, which we were in this book is not something to be ashamed of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because yes, I, I do. I am an alcoholic. I do have problems. And I, and I want to share that there is hope and there is a way out and there are, so, there truly are solutions. And, and, um, and it's an amazing experience being able to share this journey and, and be honest um, because we're all human. We're never going to be perfect, but mm-hmm. this, this the fear and the shame portion of it can be alleviated over time. As long as you're not, as long as you can share it with other people, right? Cause it's yeah. okay. It's all, it's all okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, the book is unraveled, a mother and son story of addiction and redemption available at find bookstores everywhere. You guys have been doing some book signings and got some more, I think on the calendar.
2: We we do. We do. And and we love being on podcasts. We love meeting people that uh, host the podcast and, and really are grateful for the opportunity. The, the book I I like to encourage people to go to their favorite mom and pop shop that
3: Mm -hmm.
2: bookstore where they can be ordered. Um, but you can always get it on Amazon. I, I, I'm not advertising for Amazon, by the way. Uh, <laughs> personal statement. But, uh, yeah. If your bookstore doesn't have it, they can get it. Yeah.
0: And if our listeners want to contact you directly, is there a way for them to do that?
2: There is. We have a website, unraveledthebook.com. And okay. And Website. We have an email address, and many people reach out to us through that email address, and we respond. Mm-hmm. Okay. Unless you're a crackpot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, you
2: know yeah. And then Tom and then will respond. respond.
1: Yeah. yeah. Respond. That's know, good.
2: We really, we really welcome um, the opportunity to listen to share experience. We're not um, therapists. Mm-hmm. We're just, we're just folks helping folks. Yeah. And and that's awesome. Do you, don't you have a podcast as well together? Well, we do, but we've only had two it's sessions. A failed, it
3: was a failed attempt. <laughs>
2: they, they, were, okay. <laughs> they were great podcasts. I think we're better as uh, guests than we are as hosts. Okay. 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 All right.
0: <laughs> well, you are wonderful guests. Absolutely. And this certainly yeah. has been an enjoyable conversation. You guys are captivating. Thank you so much. For sharing your story. Once again, this is Tom and Laura Bolt. The book is Unraveled. All right, stay with us. We will be back in a moment.
2: Thank you so Positive
0: much. Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And um, Nate, I want to go to coffee with Laura. Uh, That is that would be a an extremely uh, lively and fun experience, and yeah, Tom was great and just I loved the permission they gave each other to be themselves. You know, because what an experience to write together the story of your family's probably hardest seasons. Um mm-hmm. and then agree that we're willing to share that with the world and and this is how I experienced it, this is how you experienced it. Um and to commit that all to a book. I mean that's a that's a commitment. So I man, yeah. I have all the respect in the world for them.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, I now have two more reasons to go to Colorado. I'm gonna find a way.
1: Uh
0: <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to sit down with them, have a cup of coffee. Here's what I really Uh, Liked about him, you know. She says that you know Tom's reaction to her announcement years ago that she had quit drinking was, "Oh, but Mom, you're so much fun when you drink."
1: Yeah, you can tell
0: that that fun was a high value for Tom. Yeah, and the and the beautiful thing to see now, our our listeners, this is an audio podcast. You and I had the advantage of watching these two on screen. Watch them trade looks. Watch them grin and smile. It's clear. They have not at all lost the capacity to have fun. Have fun with each other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Uh yeah.
0: and and uh and I guess the great advantage is now they can remember the
1: fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now we have a lot of fun right now, now we get to remember it. Now we have stories to tell. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Well, they were, right. they were so, they were so great. And, uh, and I hope the listeners take advantage of, uh, you know, finding unraveled because it's really written in a creative way. Um, each chapter, you know, mom takes a piece and son takes a piece and they share this, uh, journey all the way through. So, uh, mm. it'd be a great, a great read and really, uh, creative and well done. So.
0: Right, 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 right. All right. Hey, by the way, we do love, uh, to hear from our listeners, we value your guest uh, suggestions and do follow up on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we pass along your comments to guests. Uh, so please, if you've got a few minutes and uh, today's episode or any of the prior episodes have been particularly challenging or helpful to you, uh, we certainly would appreciate the feedback. All you've got to do is drop us a line at sobriety podcast at gmail.com. Yep. Well, uh this episode is brought to you by our host. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, by our uh
1: our sponsor. You know, we're the host. Our sponsor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, Tell us about our sponsor, Tom. Uh, yeah. Uh
0: Tom. Oh. <laughs>
1: You have been with the grandkids all, uh, man. You are like you are.
0: My brain is oatmeal. Can you yeah, tell? Uh, listen,
1: I I'm with you, and I'm feeling it for you. Let me tell you about our. Let me tell you about our host sponsor, Ed. Um, <laughs> Uh, We are extremely happy to be brought to you by the people at BetterHelp.com. That's H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com. And this is the online therapy service that you can um, obtain help from a licensed therapist uh, on a weekly or as regularly as you would like basis. Uh, You subscribe to their service. And if you go to the site and put in BetterHelp.com slash positive sobriety, Um, it will get you a discount on your initial, uh, signups. And it will also let us know that the things that we offer you are, uh, being utilized and are helpful. And, uh, I would just encourage you to, um, explore and, and, uh, avail yourself to this service because they will deal with anything from anxiety and depression to, uh, any of the other areas in your life where you feel stuck. And, uh, so better help dot com slash positive sobriety
0: all right well that does it for this week uh david it's been great to see you i look great forward to, to you our, our our conversation next week with the uh, the next guest we've got a pretty full calendar looking we ahead do. we do yeah we're looking great okay well until next week then i'm nate I'm david and we are your pals on the positive sobriety podcast the Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer, Rex Schnelli. Music by Rex Schnelli. Theme music by Matt Ulrich. Uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett. Uh, wardrobe <laughs> by Kathy Gifford.